This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. Because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Caradini. And today we're going to talk about our particular vision of the ethics of technology in a Christian milieu. Don't worry, it's going to be more interesting than that. But that's <laughs> legitimately what we're going to be talking about. So Maybe it's the MDiv talking, but I think that sounds pretty interesting. Oh, oh, I'm sure there's plenty of listeners who are like, oh, yes, this is this is the jam. But I know there's also listeners who are like, that was a lot of words that don't have to do with self-driving cars. <laughs> Speaking of self-driving cars, our hook for the episode is a sad one. Very sad. Uh, the first, first incident of someone being killed by a self-driving car happened this week, and... As Stephen and I were talking before the show, how do we want to come at this? And as we were talking about that article, one of the things that struck both of us is that this is the kind of thing that is likely to engender two sorts of reactions. One is the, this is why we should just not do self-driving cars at all, yank them all off the road, shut it all down, forever, burn it to the ground, die, Uber, die. And the other reaction is, you know, these things happen. It's happened at a lower rate than with humans driving cars. This is just a data point. We'll learn from this. The inevitable future of self-driving cars is still coming. And as will surprise no one who's listened to the show before, as will surprise no one who listened to our episode last week, we're not quite on either of those trains. Instead, we want to trace out how do we think about questions about technology and technological inevitability or the lack thereof, how do we reason about new technologies? How do we decide as communities, as well as as individuals, whether we should adopt new technologies? How do we think about adopting something like self-driving cars, given that as has become very, very clear for reasons and details, which we don't really know yet, and we don't really want to speculate on as a result. But that self-driving cars will kill people. Self-driving cars may kill more or fewer people. Self-driving cars may increase or decrease the risk of the average driver on the road. And all of those things will be taken into account as we build a regulatory regime around them. Which which you may, you just made a, a big assumption, which is part of what we yes. hope will happen. Should there be a regulatory regime around them? Right. In Arizona, the answer is, nah, bro, whatever. The questions that confront us are, how do these things affect us if we embrace them? And are those effects worth it? If we do or don't regulate them, what will the outcomes be? If we embrace them, what will the effects be not just for the rich and the powerful, but for the poor, for, as the Bible puts it, orphans and widows, for people who are unable to take care of themselves in many ways? What will be the outcomes for minorities versus majority populations in the U.S. in particular? These are the kinds of questions that confront us. Or as the very popular CCM song goes, all the poor and powerless, which is a fairly good representation, I think. Yeah. And so before we get there, we have to step way back and start with a Christian ethic of life, basically. <laughs> so I first off, apologize to anybody who's like, whoa, I came here for the technology. I totally get that. I hate it when this happens in books. You're like, look, I came here for topic A, and you're like stepping all the way back, and I'm, I'm not really interested in that. 
I get it. I'm sorry. But to understand our I'm ethic of- I'm not sorry. Well, you can be not sorry, but I'm, I'm feeling it for the <laughs> listeners, especially because like, you know, sometimes you read books and you're like, I want this book on technology. And then they say, as Heidegger once said, you're like, oh, come on. <laughs> As Kant once said, oh, come on, man. Consider this a prolegomena to all future discussions of ethics on the show. (laughs) Right. So the basic concept that we want to come at here, as Chris mentioned, is a ethic of human life that privileges certain things. We, we We care about human flourishing, which is this concept that is advancing the good of individuals and communities. Uh, We also care about all individuals and all communities. So we're interested in, as we mentioned, people who are disenfranchised, people who are minorities, people who are uh, powerless to change the system. This goes back to our discussion last season of how structures and agency interact. And it's important for people to note that we are midpoint in that as well. There are structures that some individuals can change. There are structures that some individuals have to group together into communities to change. And there are some structures that are sort of immovable at this present time, but maybe not in the future. And so the goal that we have here is not to say that all technology enhances human life and is should be uncritically accepted, nor are we saying that no technology advances human flourishing and and helps out the the goals of communities, whatever those are, and therefore all should be rejected. There's more depth there to what flourishing means and to what a Christian ethic of that gets at. And that's where you have to look at what does life mean. One thing I want to say as an aside before we dig into that, there is a legitimate criticism that I've seen offered from a few different people of would-be critics of technology who preface their critique of technology with, I love technology, but... And and the legitimate critique being offered in those cases is that you can actually end up biasing the conversation by, again, as we said last time, smuggling in a lot of the technology is good assumptions. And we're not we're not doing that. We're just stating from the outset that some technologies are good, some are net bad. We're not going to pretend that all are net bad. We're not radical skeptics of technology. We're sort of moderate skeptics of technology. And so the the point the focus here is in the particular episode, let's call it, the incident, the tragedy, whatever we're going to call this situation where a self-driving car um, that was in autonomous mode hit a person who was walking across the street at night outside of a crosswalk. Whatever we're going to call that situation, that's a thing that happened. And there's a lot of ways to look at that, and there's a lot of ways to come at that and a lot of presuppositions, a lot of expectations, a lot of projections that can be applied. And so at a basic level, we can say that at night and most of the time, you should not be walking outside a crosswalk. Now, there are legitimate times when you should be walking outside a crosswalk, uh, particularly if uh, something is coming down a so like a car is coming down the sidewalk you should get out of the sidewalk <laughs> in any way you can that yeah. seems like a thing you should do regardless of whether that requires you to cross the street without a crosswalk and we don't know why this person was walking across the street without a crosswalk she could have been running from something bad 
unknowable. So at that even basic level, it's not to say that this person was doing exactly the wrong thing, obviously, all the time. Secondly, this idea of the self-driving car, the autonomous car doing its thing and hitting a person. The self-driving car was operating under its own parameters. It was doing the thing it was trained to do by people. And it was trained to do that clearly not very well. It was not trained to respond to these particular situations. Maybe it's LIDAR didn't catch this particular person. Maybe they were wearing dark clothing. Maybe it's night vision isn't very well tuned. We don't know why. But there's a lot of reasons that the technology could have failed or that the technology could have been doing exactly what it was supposed to do. And so it is not to say that this technology did the thing it was supposed to do and what it's supposed to do is evil or that it failed and clearly we need to get it better. What was the goal of that technology? Well, the goal of that technology individually was to get a person somewhere safely. And it failed at that in that one person in the car injured another person out of the car. And whether the person out of the car was within the parameters of the car as it was driving down the road is is a problem for the car because it's not trained to look at that, whatever happened there, it's not trained to look at that. And is a problem for the person crossing the road, they would prefer that self-driving cars do not hit them. So all of those things come together to say there are a lot of different angles at which things could have gone right or bad. So we have that sort of broad context for this situation, and those kinds of broad contextual things inform many situations. Ethical reasoning is always situated. Even when you're operating with absolute moral principles, nonetheless, the application of those principles is always situated, is always contextual. This is why the biblical book of Proverbs in, in many ways climaxes with two Proverbs set one right after the other, which say, do not answer a fool according to his folly, and Answer a fool according to his folly. Because wisdom and ethics is a kind of wisdom, and this is one of the things we'll return to often this season. Ethics is not merely casuistry, though casuistry, rulemaking as thinking through situations, is a part of ethical reflection. But it's also recognizing the way the world is designed, and it is thinking carefully and rightly about how we live well in the world as it is designed. Now, Right there, I've laid bare a lot of the most important assumptions Stephen and I are bringing to the table in all of the rest of our ethical reflections here. Right. We think the world is designed. We think there is an order and a pattern and a shape to reality. We think those things run deeper than whatever evolutionary instincts we might have been given by an account of humanity that is purely materialistic. Uh, We think those things run deeper than merely human desire alone can account for. We think those things are built literally into the fabric of reality by their creator. Mm -hmm. And therefore, all of our reflection going forward is going to carry that inherent in it. It rejects, therefore, the idea of power as the most fundamental basis for ethical reasoning. It rejects, therefore, the idea that we can make our moves based solely on what affect us or satisfy us as individuals, because we believe the universe was designed in a way where we are meant to care for one another in community. We believe that the rich and powerful are meant to use their wealth and privilege and power for the good of those who 
do not have wealth and privilege and power. We believe that the universe fundamentally is shaped by the kind of God who would die for people who had rejected him. That's that's the essential core of Christian ethics, Right, is for the mightiest to put themselves in the position of greatest humiliation, of greatest loss for the sake of others. And so, when we come to questions about self-driving cars or questions about rewriting genes or questions about any number of ethical questions we'll come to not only today but throughout the rest of this season, it's with those as our presuppositions. It is with the idea that the universe, A, does have a bent toward it, that yes, the the shape of history is long and does indeed bend toward justice, but the justice has a meaning and a content to it that is not totally malleable, that is not subject merely to human creation, but that we, in fact, are also subject to that, and that part of what we must do is seek wisdom and seek justice, and that those two things go together. Right. And no consideration of technology— or any other aspect of ethics can happen without wisdom and without justice being part of what we're considering. Right. And that is a shout out to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Thank you for the arc of justice quote. Yes, indeed. And so justice is important and justice as viewed in the context of a world that was created perfect, Garden of Eden, Edenic, but then fell through the idea of original sin, but is not totally ruined. So even though total depravity is a concept, there's still this perpetual undertone of the fact that people can choose good things. They can Mm -hmm. choose to do good, even if their initial bent uh, by their fallenness is to bad things. So um, even though total depravity relates directly to what we believe you're pre-believing in Christ's state, and even though there is common grace, which is the grace that is extended to uh, all via the world continuing to turn and the, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the sun continuing to rise, once there is a uh, change of heart that comes from believing in Jesus Christ, we believe, there is a possibility of continuing on and choosing the good thing the unselfish thing, the thing that is motivated by more than just pure self-interest for yourself or self-interest for your particular group. And we also freely admit that because of common grace and because of self-interest, people who do not believe in uh, Jesus also sometimes choose good things. Mm -hmm. And because of fallenness, plenty of Christians choose bad things all the time. Exactly. So, there, even within our own vision of ethics, there is this particular tension between the good that can be achieved and the bad that continuously tugs on us. And that's for everyone, Christian or no. But it has a different sort of uh, timber in a Christian's life, but it exists in all people in our understanding of ethics. Two things I would add to that. One is a clarification. Christians use the language of total depravity, and sometimes, and, and Stephen said this, but I think it's worth saying extremely clearly again, sometimes people take that to mean 
that what Christians think is that everyone's as bad as they could be. And that's not what we mean. What we mean, rather, is that all of us are corrupted by selfishness, so that even the good things we do, we often do for the wrong reasons, and that we often do many bad things that we ought not. Very few of us, perhaps none of us, are absolutely as bad as we could be, and that is some of what Stephen pointed to as common grace. And total depravity also suggests that you are unable to save yourself. Right. The other thing that is worth noting is that as Christians, we don't think that humans can totally solve all of our problems. And to quote Malcolm Reynolds, you cannot make people better. And I'll I'll keep quoting Malcolm Reynolds, even though he and I might have slightly different philosophies and worldviews in the big picture on this point, because I think Joss Whedon had that exactly right in <laughs> – Serenity, and you better believe I'm going to drop a Firefly or a Serenity reference anytime I can. I, I was like, wait, I'm I'm pretty sure he means Mal. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's who he's quoting. I was like oh, checking yes. my brain to make sure there wasn't some philosopher that was like, Malcolm Reynolds? Like- nope. <laughs> Definitely the captain of the good ship Serenity. Oh. <laughs> but I think that's right. And the Christian view is that we seek justice. And we're responsible to seek justice, but that true justice won't come until the king comes back and reigns everything rightly. And we think that'll really happen. We do. Now, a whole bunch of our audience is probably like, wow, I mean, I knew these guys were Christians, but wow, they just really laid it on the line there. And yeah, we did. Yeah. And we're probably not going to get so theologically weighty any other episodes this season, or maybe at any other point in Winning Slowly. But if we're going to talk about the way we think about ethics— As Stephen said 15 minutes ago, we have to do that and we have to lay our cards on the table and say, this is where our reasoning comes from. This is how we think wisdom happens. This is what we think justice means. Right. Because otherwise, we're all arguing. You know, Stephen said at the beginning, we talk about human flourishing as seeking the common good, the good of individuals and communities. But one of the real challenges in current discourse in American society at large and really in talking about human flourishing in general, is that we don't necessarily have a vision of what the good is that we share or we agree on. Or or what the rightly ordered life looks like, what the flourishing right, actually exactly. achieves. So what is the, the end of flourishing, not the cessation of it, but the, the logical point of it. Uh, and I think that's true. And I think that's partially why there are so many uh, – hot takes, for lack of a better term, (laughs) on some of these ethical issues is that there's no discussion of why these things have to be this way or that way. It's sort of implied that for the good of whatever future I envision, this thing must or must not happen. And so another thing I think that's important that we need to qualify uh, is that We are not utopians, and we do not believe that we can bring about utopia, but we do believe that human actions have actual effects in the world, positively and negatively. We do think that people can do good things personally and in communities and actually make things better. That's part of what we believe is that, yes, we are not going to solve poverty writ large, but we can certainly solve poverty in this community and mitigate it and 
you're going to always going to have some manifestations of it. But if you're looking at, hey, if we put a well in this community, wherever that community is, the quality of life is going to go up. People are going to be able to go to school. They won't have to walk for water. And then you're going to have a lot more room time-wise and mental space-wise to do other things with your life and energies. And that's a way of mitigating not just economic poverty, but also social poverty, the impoverishment of individuals' relationships with each other based on lack of time because they're walking back and forth um, instead of communing with each other, the sorts of intellectual poverty, all sorts of poverties. Those can be mitigated in some small sense in particular communities with particular actions, but you're not going to be able to solve poverty, capital P, because that's more than just an economic issue. It's a fallen state of the world issue. A friend of mine talks about the kinds of products, he's a software engineer, as am I, and he used this phrase a while back of the kinds of products he wants to work on, and I've stolen it from him. So thanks, Ben. The fundamental constraint for him is he wants to work on products, not that are merely disruptive, whatever that means. <laughs> we can talk about that some other time. But products that are, in some sense, ameliorative of the effects of the fall. And and what he means by that and what I mean by that is to say, what are things that take the brokennesses of people's lives and make them a little better? And that ranges on the scale from, can I make it less unpleasant to try to get my food from a restaurant? Can I make it a little more straightforward and a little nicer for me to do that, which is what I work on. It's nothing groundbreaking or revolutionary. But if I do it well, I might be doing some small good in the world. Particularly if you're a parent that has a child or multiple children and you're just totally burned out by the end of the day yes. and you just want food to show up. Exactly. That is a grace and mercy, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and And that can range, on the other hand, all the way up to using technology to help ameliorate the effects of poverty or to help restore what we have harmed through other uses of technology in the environment or there there's a massive range here restore what has been broken in terms of physical things that have been broken a leg or right. an organ or uh physical places that have been broken buildings that have fallen over those sorts of things mm -hmm. these are all things that you can do with technology you can 3D print houses if you want. But you can also burn down every scrap of rainforest. You can also do that. You should not do that. Don't you, do you that. You should not do that. But that's where we start moving into our applying these kinds of ethical reflections. Yeah. We, we have this background that we've just talked through at a high level. And then we, we look at the kinds of things that technologies do from the broad scale. Did we just burn down all the rainforests and set the atmosphere on fire, uh, all the way down to the effects at a very ordinary personal level of subjecting ourselves to a constant flow of information through news feeds, via that Twitter or Facebook or whatever news apps pinging us via an Apple Watch attached to our wrist, through which we get notified every second of something horrible happening in the world. Those kinds of things may exacerbate the effects of the fall. They make things worse for us, for others, for our communities, or they may ameliorate the effects of the fall. They can make things a little better. They can't make everything perfect, but they can make things a little better. And we have to be clear-eyed about those. And mm -hmm. also we have to be clear-eyed that some things do 
in fact, I would I would say, and I think this is the fundamental tension of evaluating technologies, they all do some of both. Yeah. Facebook connects people in really important ways sometimes. A friend of mine had his house burned by arsonists. Through Facebook, he was connected with an enormous part of his community, some local, some international, who rallied around and helped provide for him and his family afterward. Also, Facebook contributes significantly to levels of depression among active users of it. These things aren't simple. And also help put many different people in office over this last particular election cycle, whether or not that's good or bad. That's a thing you have to ethically determine. So you've got obviously good and obviously bad. Depression is bad. And then you have stuff in the middle. And another way to think about this is with the the automated car situation. So I commented to Chris a couple of weeks ago that I'm really ready for automated cars because on balance, they will cause less car wrecks and car wrecks kill people. And I was really ready for this because a friend that I had had um, while I was at Auburn died in a car wreck and I found out about it. And I hadn't talked to this person in several years, but I was still very sad and that seemed unnecessary. And that person should still be around being wonderful to people and she's not. And that's something that is bad that I'm ready for automated cars to fix, but which does not diminish the fact that in the process of getting there, an automated car killed a person who was walking across the street. Right. And that's also bad. And we have to judge is the process of developing automated cars worthwhile for the things that it will do negatively along the way Or is it worthwhile to uh, alter the situation so that all of the testing has to occur out of the way of potential danger to pedestrians and people who are around the situation? Or should it all be shut down entirely? So Uber pulled all his cars off the road. They said, okay, we're going to temporarily stop. Was that the right thing? Maybe. It's certainly the right PR move, but uh, I don't know if that was the right thing. Like maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe having a knee-jerk reaction to a uh, significant tragedy is bad. That's something we've talked about on Winning Slowly before. Yeah. So it's a complicated thing. It really is. And we think that taking the long view to go back to our charter is the way that you can help make some of those decisions. And so instead of saying, right now we need to do this because of X that happened at 10 p.m. last night, You need to take a longer view and you need to say, will there be net good along the way in the end right now? All of those things have to be considered. Yeah. The last point I want to make is that, as I mentioned a minute ago, net good is really difficult to evaluate. And it's not something we can evaluate purely in metrical terms. We can't just measure things. We're not utilitarians either. 40 units of good. (laughs) Right. Happiness units. This is a thing that comes up when you start reading utilitarians. Not even happiness units, just straight goodness, good units. Because there can be something that's good that also does not make you happy, namely working out. (laughs) I don't know. It makes me happy. Well, it doesn't make a lot of people happy. Not naming anyone who's in this podcast. But you cannot measure some of these things. And you cannot quantify many of these things. And in a society that hypervalues measurement and quantification, we have lost in many ways the ability to engage in ethical reflection as a matter of wisdom. Now, sometimes, very often, in fact, measurement 
can be a helpful tool in these things. If we start getting self-driving cars on the road and we show that even over time, they're not improving rapidly enough and they continue to cause more fatalities than human-driven cars, that's useful information and important information in our ethical reflection. If there's a downward dip before the upward spike in public health, how deep are we willing to let that downward dip go before we expect and hope to see the upward spike? And when do we say, no, this is not working out? Right. And if we're unwilling to make those kinds of calls, if we're unwilling to resist that irresistible future because we say, actually, no, that the cost here is too high. And especially if we're unwilling to say, yeah, we see the net good over here, but its costs over there are enough worse, even if those costs, perhaps especially if those costs are insidious and nearly invisible, then we risk devolving into a kind of mere utilitarianism that ultimately will lead us to, we think, ruin. And I I recognize that's a strong statement, but I I mean it and I stand by it. In a long view, yeah, that's the point of this podcast. Side note, what if we took deep learning algorithms that are sort of scary and applied them in a VR situation to the AIs that are going to be trying to do self-driving cars and like made them like run tests on each other and like take cars off the roads entirely while they're being tested. I don't know, but that's the sort of thing that you have to consider when you start thinking about the long view of things. Like, okay, if we do want cars, automated cars in the future, we don't want them to run into humans while they are in the testing mode and they are still firmly in the testing mode. Maybe there are other ways with or without technology that we can get the same solution in the long run, but with a different short and medium run. Maybe. That sort of thinking is the thinking that we're interested in. Not like, in the long run, cars would be better, but they suck now, so let's never get there. That's not it either. But there's all these ways that you can put together technologies and people and knowledge and wisdom, and you can come out with things that are good if you sit back and think about what is our goals, what are the ways that we're reaching towards these, and how can they fit. And the last thing I'll qualify there is to say that I think I'm a little more skeptical in some ways on this than Steven, so we'll have an interesting back and forth this season as a result. One of the things I think we're too quick to do, sometimes we're too quick to think that the solution to a technical problem is more technology. Sometimes it's the abandonment of that technology and figuring out when you should say, let's be smarter about our tech and figuring out when you should say, let's be wiser and abandon this tech. Yeah. Well, that. That's the hard question. Yeah, I mean, and there's definitely situations where, you know, I'm going to be right on the side of like, yeah, let's <laughs> never do that again. That would be great. Um, but I am. I'm a little bit more optimistic about the nature of human creativity and, uh, for lack of a better term, recombination of ideas and goals than Chris is. Partially because Chris is a person who codes and looks at things that go wrong all the time. Um, and I am a person who teaches and looks at things that go super well and people learn. And so our just daily experiences of like how technology works in our own personal and professional lives are different. And so that colors the way that we perceive and interpret technology, which is not to say that Chris's technology is always broken and that my students always learn perfectly, but <laughs> there's contours there. And I think Chris would agree with that. Yes. 
in summary, our wives are going to be really happy because their favorite episodes are the ones where we disagree. And there will be a lot of those. <laughs> yeah, there, there will be for sure. So this week, the intro music was True Refuge by Ezra Feinberg. Thank you so much for letting us use this. It's a great tune. You should check it out. We used it with permission. Please don't use it without permission. Thanks as well to this month's sponsors, including Andrew Fallows and Kurt Klassen. What's up? You're the best. You guys are, truly. If you'd like to sponsor the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash winning slowly or cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. You can follow us at Twitter at winning slowly at Chris Kreitcho, S. Caradini. Those are all ways you can reach us. Facebook. I've checked Facebook and email for winning slowly every day last week. So what? I was on top of it. There was, <laughs> there was no email to respond to, but I did it anyway. And it was there. So if you had, Good man, Stephen. If you had, Good I would man. have been able to respond. So that's a thing. You can email us at hello at winningslowly.org. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for using it. Er, Apple Watch attached to our rich. Attached to... Wow. Wow. (laughs) That's a good one.